This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Demarest, CPA with Parr Mellison Associates. So everyone always talks about making more money, but what comes with making more money? Taxes. This week, we're going to be talking about how we do tax planning at my firm and also different ways that we look to minimize taxes. Before we get into all that, though, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. Don't wait until the end of the month to see what's driving your gross profit up or down. With Shopware's crystal clear analytics, you get the numbers you need to change course before it's too late. Customize it all when you get Shopware.com. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care endorsed program, their unique done-for-you marketing platform takes the guesswork out of the equation. Please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. So before we talk about ways to minimize tax, we need to talk about how and when you need to be tax planning on this. Right, everyone, that's always everyone's first question. What do I need to do to reduce taxes? Well, if you want to reduce your taxes, you have to know what your taxes are. Maybe you're trying to reduce taxes and you're not even having as good of a year as you think. And maybe some of these benefits won't help you or they're going to help you a lot less than you might think. The way that we do our tax planning, there's not one way to do this. I just want to kind of explain the way that we do this for our monthly clients. Um, And it seems to work out pretty good. Like I said, tax planning needs to be done throughout the year, not after the fact. And it can't just be done once either. Right? The auto repair industry is definitely one of the more cyclical businesses. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of you out there that have had the best month followed by a terrible month. And sometimes there's just no rhyme or reason to it. But those swings need to be taken into consideration because this is not like other businesses that might make the same amount of money every single month or something that's very forecastable. We have people that go up 20, 50% in sales in one year, and obviously profitability should be going up there as well. Other times, there's slowdowns, whether it's local, whether it's you know a nationwide issue like COVID, and all of a sudden, you're just not making as much money as you thought. If you're ahead or behind on it, you really have two situations. You could be underfunded for your estimates and possibly pay some sort of penalty or have a large liability at the end of the year. Or the opposite, which arguably could be just as bad, is when you severely overfunded or you paid in too much in estimated taxes, and now you're waiting on a big refund back from the IRS. Now, a lot of people yell and scream and say, well, hey, I don't want to give the government any sort of money, but you have to usually give them some. You can't just give them no money at all and have a large balance due at the end of the year. They want this stuff paid throughout the year. We'll kind of get into that a little bit more here after we talk about these three phases. The when we do our first phase of tax planning is actually the same time that we do the first tax return or the current year tax return. And so if we're sitting here, you know, it's July of 2022, our clients have already had the first tax estimate, whether they know that they have or not. Because what happens is when we finish their 2021 tax return, we quickly do a tax estimate for this upcoming year. All right, did we really reduce the taxes last year because of a large purchase that we're not going to have? That means we're expecting to make more money. Let's look at trends of the business. Let's look at, you know, what profitability is doing and try and get ahead and guess what this upcoming year is looking like. So this first step, you know, is done generally March and April. And for a lot of people, that's the only tax plan that they get. You know, if you're sitting here listening and you only talk to your accountant at the end of the year to do taxes, that's the only time that they're doing this. 
they're saying, all right, you made $50,000 in profit. We're going to estimate that you make the same amount this year. And some of you might have this happen before. You go next year to file your taxes and they say, whoa, you made $150,000 and you get slapped with a huge tax bill. You know, everyone is afraid of that infamous April 14 phone call of, wow, you had a good year. You owe $25,000. And by the way, that needs to get paid in tomorrow. There's nothing you can do to change it. There's nothing that you can do to minimize it. It is what it is and you're done. That is the worst way to do tax planning. This is just the first step. This kind of gets us on a course and that leads us into our second step. So first step is done during the current year tax return. And right about now is our big tax planning season. So once we have the June financials complete, we have six months of financials. That's going to allow us to see what we've done in the first six months of the year and essentially be able to use that to forecast the rest of the year. You know, for example, if you've made $50,000 in profit through June, we're going to estimate that you're going to make about $100,000 of profit for the business for the rest of the year. Now, we can't just factor the business in and ignore everything else. When we do our tax planning, we're essentially doing a complete tax return for you business and personal because I need to see what your shop is doing. I need to see what your rental is doing if you own the property or if you own other properties. I need to see what your payroll is. I need to see what your spouse's payroll. So we're almost doing a complete tax return so we can get the entire picture here and then also ask some other questions. Do we have any major losses or gains from stock? Do we have any other outside activity that we don't know about? That way we can put all of these into our software and come up with a really good plan. Once we have that plan, then we'll be able to take a look at it and say, all right, here's what we owe on taxes. Let's talk about ways that we can minimize or reduce this as much as possible. We'll get into that here in the next section. We already went through step one and step two. First tax estimate is done on the current year taxes. Second tax estimate is done here in the summertime. Now we have a course of what we think the business is going to look like, right? Let's say we are on track and we're making about $10,000 a profit a month. We have kind of a general idea of where that business should be from, you know, let's say July through December. And what we do is we keep an eye on that because if we have a major spike up or down, we're going to have to change that. What I mean by that is let's say that through June, you'd made 60,000, which if you forecast that out, that means that through October, you should have made about $100,000. If we look at October financials and you've made $150,000, then first of all, great, right? We're having a really strong year. We're making money, but that's not good for taxes. And what we have to do there is we have to essentially say, all right, time out. We told you that this was the original number. This is what we need to do to plan for it. Maybe you still don't need to buy anything. You don't need to change. But I want you to be aware of that your tax liability has now increased because the business is making more money. Maybe we need to increase our estimates or increase our withholding a little bit. But we just need to be aware of this. Now, sometimes we have the opposite situation happen. Hey, we thought that you're going to make $100,000 through October. But September and October were really bad months you're actually tracking about 20 to 30% less than that. Now, if that situation comes about, what we actually do is we will change our strategy. Hey, maybe you had a third and fourth quarter voucher that you had to make for estimated tax payments. You know what? Do not make those payments anymore because we're not going to need it. Either way, you know, we want to keep people abreast of this. We want to make sure that people, you know, are forward thinking and don't get slapped with a major surprise at the end of the year. So before we get into ways to reduce taxes and then also the flip side of it, of bad ways to reduce taxes that, you know, are kind of common misnomers here, I want to talk about estimated tax payments. 
Estimated tax payments really come in two forms for most of our clients. Um, When we talk about this, I'm talking about mostly S-corporation and partnerships or sole proprietors here. So what you can do if you are any of these is there's two ways to pay in taxes throughout the year. One of those is withholding on your paycheck, right? So if you're an officer of an S-corporation, you need to be on payroll and also that payroll should have withholding associated with it. Some of my clients, instead of making four larger estimated tax payments throughout the year, they instead increase their weekly withholding so that they're paying in more money on each paycheck, and it kind of splits that up. Now, this is you know a really good strategy and something a lot of our high-income clients do just to kind of you know increase their cash flow and reduce these large sums that are having to come out. You know, I have clients that make sixty, eighty thousand dollars a year and actually get zero net check because they use their payroll to fund their estimated tax payments. They actually don't make any quarterly estimates and they do it all through payroll. The other way that you can do this is you can also pay quarterly estimates. And if you're making enough money, you probably will need to do both. The way that the quarterly estimates work is, you know, instead of or in addition to or instead of paying the withholding, you just give the government and the state essentially four checks throughout the year. First one's generally due in April, second one's due in June, third one is due in September, and then the fourth one is due in January. And in a perfect world, let's say that you think you're going to owe $20,000, you would pay $5,000 each quarter throughout the year, which would hopefully you know minimize or eliminate your tax liability at the end of the year. As I alluded to before, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't want to give the government money until I absolutely have to. I don't have to pay taxes till April. So why am I going to give them the money early? What the government, and this is the state as well, when I talk about this, they do not want you to pay them all of the money at the end of the year. If that same example I talked about before, that person owes 20,000, they should be making quarterly estimates throughout the year. If they go and they pay that $20,000 balance due at the end of the year, there's a possibility that they could get penalized for not sending in enough estimated tax payments. We all have bad days when we just turn to someone and ask, how the heck do I fix this? When that happens to you on the business side, which may not be your strong suit, you want someone quick and you want them to be clear. That's exactly what Dan Groen from Detroit Garage found when he peppered the folks at Shopware with questions about how to make the most of its shop management system. As he puts it, they continually solve the curveballs that we throw at them. With seven shops, Dan jokes that he is a demanding client, but that is a sign of a guy committed to his business. Even better, the Shopware support team met every challenge with, in Dan's words, impressive capabilities and vigor. No complaints, no hassles, just a commitment to help Dan through his day. As Dan says, we make each other stronger. Now that's a partnership that works. It is time. Visit GetShopware.com. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care endorsed coaching and marketing program, their unique industry-proven marketing platform takes the guesswork out of the equation. Instead of taking a shotgun approach, Repair Shop of Tomorrow uses predictive marketing that focuses on bringing the right cars into your shop. They utilize social media, email marketing, direct mail, personalized newsletters, and Napa value-added programs to create quality car count for their clients. This same branded message, same branded content marketing approach is bringing in the right customers and bringing them in more often, which is helping their clients add more net profit to the bottom line. If your current marketing strategy isn't yielding the results you would like, please reach out to Repair Shop tomorrow to get your marketing efforts dialed in. For more information about their program, please visit them at 
repairshopoftomorrow.com. The government wants their money more regularly. They don't want you to save it all to the end of the year. The reason that they do this is probably twofold. First is they want their money. They would rather have it split throughout the year than give it all at the end of the year. Just think about this if this was a customer that you had. You had a project that was going to take a year. Would you rather them pay you four times throughout the year so that when the project is done, you've already been paid or have them owe you all the money when you finally wrap up the project? You're going to want those interim payments, right? Another thing is, is realistically, the government knows that people sometimes aren't very good at budgeting their cash. Do you think that it's easier for someone to pay $5,000 four times throughout the year or all of a sudden come up with $20,000 cash? Probably the four times split out. Now, one of the things that you got to think about here, and you know, depending on how in-depth and how abreast you are of your financials, is do you actually need to make the estimated tax payments? And so when we do our tax planning, we will come down and we will say, hey, we think that you're going to owe around $20,000. However, you actually only technically need to pay in $10,000 of estimates to avoid those penalties. How do we know what that limit is? And so what the government says is if they say, if you pay 110% of last year's tax liabilities in estimates, doesn't matter how much you owe the following year, you've satisfied your responsibility of paying any estimates and you don't owe them anything additional. Let me kind of repeat that again, because it's a little bit weird. And I'm going to give you some numbers on this. Let's say that in 2021, you owe $10,000 in tax or your tax liability was $10,000. When I say tax liability, that does not mean what you owed on April 15th. It means your total tax that you paid for the entire year, $10,000. So in order to avoid penalties for 2022, that person would need to pay in at least $11,000 throughout the year. 110% of $10,000 is $11,000. What qualifies for that? So that could be uh, estimated tax payments. That could be withholding. That's any way that you get money to the government. As long as you've paid them more than $11,000, you will not get charged an underpayment penalty. Let's say that you blew it out of the water. You sold your business. You sold your property. You sold everything that you had, and you have $150,000 tax liability at the end of the year. You could pay them all of that on April 15th. As long as you've given them $11,000 throughout the year, there is no penalties on it. Okay, so as long as you've satisfied 110% of last year's tax liability, you will not get penalized. A little bit tricky because you would, you know, if you're not one of our clients and you're trying to figure this out, there's actually a line on your tax return where you can see total tax. And that's the number that you need to be shooting for to be able to understand this. Now, anyone here listening either has an accountant like us or another accountant. And this is something that you should be asking your accountant to make sure that you're on track and you don't have any sort of these underpayment penalties. You know, as far as what my personal philosophy is on paying this or not paying this, if you legally have to, it really depends on the client, right? And you need to kind of look yourself in a mirror and and really decide if this, what makes sense for you. Some of my clients are extremely good with their money. They always budget it. They always have cash on it. And I'll explain to them, I'll say, hey, you're going to owe like 40 grand. You only need to pay in 20. Just save the other 20. You know, it's been an incredible year. You guys are blown it out of the water but we're going to have that tax liability come April. I know that they're going to have the money. I know that they're not going to forget about it and say, well, you never told me about this. And, you know, kind of give them the choice. If you want to send it in now and be done with it, great. If you want to hang on to it, you're not going to get penalized either. However, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know what, Hunt? 
if I don't pay this in now, I'm probably going to spend it on something else or I have cash flow issues or I just don't want to see that in my bank account but not be able to use it then there's really technically no downside to paying in that money early. You know, a lot of people say, well, I'm giving a tax-free loan to the government. But the funny thing is, is those same people have that money sitting in a checking account, which is not creating any money for them either. You know, if you're going to have to pay this money one way or another, then might as well get this money in there and, you know, just be over and done with it. Either way, you want to know your options. You want to know where you stand and you want to know what you can do to minimize this as much as possible. Because let's be real, no one likes paying taxes. No one likes giving money to the government. So let's talk about ways that we can reduce the amount of money that we give to the government. This is not an exhaustive list, right? There's tons of different ways that you can reduce giving taxes or you know paying money into the IRS or the state. But I just want to kind of go into the main ones that we see, especially for auto repair shops. Just like we talked about last week, handling large purchases. If you haven't listened to that episode, go and listen to it because this will kind of answer your questions on specifics on buying new equipment or buying vehicles. Buying new equipment is probably going to be the most popular strategy and the first thing that people always think about. And what I always talk to people is, let's be smart about buying new equipment or buying a vehicle. Because if you're going out to spend money just to save money on taxes, then that's really the worst way to tax plan. Yeah, we're minimizing our taxes, sure, but we're also spending cash either now or over the term of the financing to save some money on taxes. And again, you know, a lot of people complain, oh, our tax rates are so high. They're not 100%, right? So it's not like you're getting a dollar for dollar deduction for the stuff that you're spending. General rule of thumb that I usually tell people is about 25% of what you spend is going to save you on taxes, right? So if you buy something for 10 grand, it's going to save you 2,500 bucks. You buy something for $100,000, it's probably going to save you about 25 grand. All right. So keep that number in the back of your head if you're thinking about things. Now, obviously, if you make a ton of money, or if you don't make much money at all, that's going to swing up or down. But in absence of the actual real numbers, that's going to usually be a pretty good rule of thumb. So when people are talking about buying a new piece of equipment, I say, you know what? We need this to answer a couple questions before we even talk about tax minimization. You know, when I talk about buying equipment, I say, all right, if it can satisfy one or multiple of these three questions, then I think it's a good idea and we're going to use it for our benefit as far as taxes go. I don't just look at it and say, hey, I'm making $100,000 in profit. What can I buy for $100,000 that's going to you know, get rid of all of my income? First question that you should be asking yourself, is it going to make you more money? So if you're looking at a piece of equipment and this is going to make you more money and it's going to pay for itself, then this is a no-brainer. Let's go ahead and do this because this is going to be good for our business and also it's going to be good for tax planning as well. So a great example of that is you know, the new one, two, three, four AC machines. Hey, hon, I was thinking about buying one. Does this make sense? You know, and like I was mentioning here before, I always go, well, what does this do to the business first? That's my first thought. Secondary, I'm thinking about taxes. And for that new AC machine, I say, well, look at it. We're going to spend five grand on it. We're going to be able to offer an additional service. These services, you know, make a pretty decent amount of money. And so this is going to be positive cash flow in the long run for this piece of equipment. And this thing's actually going to pay for itself. You know, again, it's also going to save us money on taxes because that $5,000 that $5,000 piece of equipment is probably going to save us $1,200, $1,500 in taxes. Let's go ahead. Let's do it. 
You know, the opposite side of that thing would be, hey, you know what? I don't really need a new tire machine, but, you know, I I could reduce my taxes by $10,000 by buying a new tire machine. The older one still works. The older one's not that old, but I just want to go out and spend money. That's the exact opposite. Yes, that's going to save me money on taxes, but we don't need it. So we're still out the cash. You know, in that example before, yeah, we went out, we spent 10 grand on that new tire machine. It's going to save us $2,500 in taxes. We're still out $7,500 in cash because we had to buy that piece of equipment. So another thing that's, you know, a little bit less financial related is, is this going to make your life or your technician's life easier? Not everything that we do is something that, you know, is generally going to drive more money to the bottom line, but maybe you go out and you replace one of your lifts. It wasn't necessarily broken. You know, it wasn't necessarily in need of replacement, but all the technicians hate using it. It's slower than the other one. Maybe it doesn't lift stuff as high. Maybe it's harder to rack a car onto it. And so that's something that is going to boost morale, that is going to make your technician's life easier. And then ultimately, for a lot of these situations, if you're making your technician's life easier, it's probably also going to make you more money. I talk about this a lot with you know alignment racks. Oh, I have a really old alignment rack. It's a really antiquated piece of software. No one likes doing these because they're slow. It's clunky. You know, and a lot of people are kind of apprehensive of biting the bullet to buy a new alignment rack when the one that they have works. But, you know, what I like to tell people is if the technicians are more likely to use that alignment machine, they're more likely to recommend alignments and you're more likely to sell it. So again, making their life easier is going to make your life easier which hopefully is going to make you more money. The last thing, you know, we got three questions I always ask about equipment. Is it going to make you more money? Is it going to make your life easier, your employee's life easier? The last one here is going to be if you were going to buy this anyways. Let's say that we're sitting here in October, you know, with an update, you know, we have a second or third look back on our tax estimate. And I'm talking to my client. I say, all right, Jessica, it's been a pretty good year. It's gotten even better here in the third quarter. We're looking at around a $15,000 tax liability. You know, and Jessica says to me, well, you know what? I was thinking about redoing my parking lot, you know, sometime next year anyways. Well, let's do that now. We were already going to plan to do that next May, but we need the tax deduction here now. We're making money. We're going to do this anyways. Let's just accelerate this timeline and make sure that we do this before the end of the year. If we do this before the end of the year, we'll be able to get the credit for it. We'll be able to save us money on taxes. Is it going to make you more money? Is it going to make your life easier, your technician's life easier? And were you going to buy this anyways? If you're answering yes to these questions, then it's going to be a good move for your business. And then obviously it's going to help us save money on taxes. But remember, in that order, is this good for my business? Yes or no? If yes, then we're going to do it and it's going to save us money on taxes. If you're sitting here and you're saying, I answer no to all those questions, then you know what? It doesn't probably sound like that's a necessary purchase that you need to make. Yes, it is going to save you money on taxes, but probably not the best thing for your business in the long run. Buying equipment, you know, vehicles will go into here as well, right? And when I talk about vehicles, go back and listen to the last episode because I dive into details. But good ways to reduce taxes as far as vehicles go are going to be trucks and large SUVs, right? Because trucks and large SUVs over the 6,000 gross vehicle weight rating are going to allow us to write off the entire cost in the first year if we want to. So let's get into one of the next great ways to reduce taxes. And honestly, this one is my favorite way to reduce taxes. You know, when a lot of people like to get creative and they say, oh, what are the rich doing here? Which 
is, you know, as a quick aside, I, I think would kind of be a cool episode on, you know, taxes of everyone talks about, oh, you know, why does Jeff Bez- Bezos pay no taxes? Or what are these tax strategies that I talk about the ultra wealthy do? Um, there's some pretty creative and some pretty cool stuff that they do. But for the most part, it's out of reach for the average taxpayer because they're still spending money, but their tax rates are so high that they could spend a ton of money on tax minimization and still come out ahead. But, you know, getting back to what I was talking about, a funding retirement account, inevitably I have people, you know, complaining about how much money they owe on taxes and saying, well, what are the rich doing? And I look at their numbers and they're not even funding their own retirement account. And I say, I won't even give you any ideas unless you fund a retirement account. It's your best tax deduction out there, period. Every other way of reducing taxes, obviously equipment, vehicles, and a couple other ones we will talk about, all take us spending money. And we're going to save a percentage of that money that we spent on taxes. But all of the other ones we are using and losing cash by doing so. However, when you fund a retirement account, you are spending money, but you don't really lose that money because you still have that in your pocket. You just can't touch it for a little bit later. So let's say that you have a 401k. If you have a 401k and let's say that you fund it $10,000, I'm going to ignore the match because the company will be able to match that as well. But let's just use that $10,000 as an example. So I have to spend $10,000, but that $10,000 doesn't actually go away. That goes into my 401k account. That's going to grow tax deferred. And when I get to retirement age, I'm going to be able to get that money out of there. So that $10,000 I spent, but I actually still have that $10,000. Now, a 401k contribution is going to be a tax deduction. So that $10,000 that I had to spend or transfer to my 401k is going to save me about $2,500 on taxes. So you can see in this situation, we spent $10,000 and we actually made $2,500 because we still have that money and we got the tax deduction, right? And so let's compare that to what we were talking about here with a piece of equipment. We buy that $10,000 tire machine, we save $2,500 on taxes, we're still out $7,500. So we're actually down $7,500 in that equation. Compared to that retirement account, we're still spending that $10,000, but we have that $10,000 and we're getting a tax saving of $2,500. We're now up $2,500. This is why I always say retirement accounts are our best options here for tax minimization. If you're not maxing it out, do that first. If you want to know what kind of retirement account you should have, what are the different options here, go back and listen to episode, I think it was eight, where I go into all different kinds of retirements, what the limits on, where to start. Essentially, if you say, Hunt, I don't want to listen to another one of your podcast episodes. If you're self-employed, you got a business, start with a simple IRA. And then once you outgrow that, go from there. Another one here is going to be end-of-year bonuses for your team. End-of-year bonuses for your team are obviously going to be good for morale, good to get some money in your employees' pockets, and also we're going to be saving money on taxes. The big thing that I always remind people of of end-of-year bonuses is make sure that those get paid out in the calendar year. All right? I have a lot of people that say, oh, I paid out $30,000 in bonuses, and I look and I say, hey, you knucklehead, it didn't come out till January 10th. Now, we have ways that we can you know, get that back into the previous year. We can get creative on it, but don't make us get creative. Just make sure that that gets funded before the end of the year. I'm not going to kind of go into some of the more 
creative measures that we do on you know a podcast that kind of gets released to everyone here, but kind of give you a, you know a couple of tips and tricks on end of year bonuses. So obviously, the easiest way to do end of year bonuses is going to be to give them you know extra money on their paycheck. If you give them extra money on the paycheck, obviously it can be taxed. If it's a bonus, it can be taxed at a higher level. If you want to do something a little bit more creative, you can maybe reimburse them for some tools. Hey, you know what? I know you're going to be spending some money on the Snap-on truck. I'm going to give you some money for tools. 100% deductible for the business, not going to be taxable to them personally because it's going to be treated like a fringe benefit. Maybe you go out and you do something with them. All right, we have an end of year party. We have an end of year Christmas party. Great, 100% tax deduction for the business, not taxable to your employees. Last one here is, you know, end of year bonuses for the team. You know, if you're going out and you're buying gift cards, maybe you're giving those to good customers and good vendors, those gift cards are going to be tax deductible and not reportable income for anyone that receives those gift cards. All right. So you can read into that one as much as you want there. So another one on here is entity selection. And so this is maybe not something that's as relevant for you planning and and you doing stuff for your specific business, but this is some of the stuff that we look at when we're doing tax planning. Not just, all right, how can Steve spend money? How can Steve defer money? But is he taxed correctly in his current setup? You know, we've talked about this. Does it make sense for this person to still be a Schedule C or sole proprietor? Or could we actually save money on taxes just by switching around how they are taxed? If you're a C corporation, you're getting taxed in probably the worst way possible. We do a ton of conversions from C corporations to S corporations. Entity selection is a great way to save tax money with spending absolutely nothing. Well, sometimes you have to spend money to actually do the conversion or file the additional returns. But a lot of times we look at this and say, hey, you can stay a partnership. You're going to owe $50,000 in taxes. Or we can switch you to an S corporation. You'll pay $20,000 in taxes. Some of my clients, you know, are more curious about the ins and outs of, you know, how this works and how they get taxed. Other people are saying, you know what, hon, I don't care if I'm an S Corp, C Corp, G Corp, Z Corp, whatever's going to make my taxes the lowest and still gives me the legal protection is the way that we should go. So entity selection, something that always comes into consideration. Last one here on, you know, the good ways to reduce taxes is adjusting payroll and adjusting draws accordingly. So we've mentioned this before, you know, if you're an S corporation, you shouldn't be taking an exorbitant amount out on payroll because you're paying too much in payroll taxes. You're not getting the qualified business income deduction that comes along with being an S corporation. So a lot of times we'll reduce people's payroll. So if you're looking and you have someone that's making $100,000 on payroll, they're paying around $15,000 in payroll taxes. If we crank their payroll down to about $60,000, they're going to save 40% of those payroll taxes. And now they're not going to take out less money. Instead of taking that $40,000 additional out on payroll, we're going to take it out in draws that doesn't have any payroll tax. So that person still got the same amount of money at the end of the day, and they probably saved about $5,000, $6,000 on taxes. So entity selection and then, you know, kind of hand in hand adjusting payroll or your distributions are ways that we can kind of with the stroke of the pen or clicks of some buttons, save us money on taxes. Now, all of these things, you know, is paramount to be done throughout the year. You know, entity selection to a certain degree can be done after the year. But adjusting your payroll, adjusting your draws, if you don't know that you're on the wrong path for this year, by the time you file your taxes next year, it's going to be too late. You can fix it going forward, but now you maybe just paid a couple thousand, maybe 10,000, maybe 50,000 
too much in the current year. So big thing here, get ahead of this stuff, guys. Make sure you're asking questions. Make sure that you have a plan here. Before we kind of wrap this up, I want to kind of quickly go into some bad ways to reduce taxes or something that people think is going to save them money, but actually does not save them money. Big one here that I always get asked is, well, Hunt, you know what? I know I got a big tax liability coming out. I want to go buy the second location. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy this real estate or I'm going to buy this land. I'm going to buy this building. And that should just completely wipe out my taxes, which is not the case whatsoever. If you buy a piece of real estate, we have to depreciate commercial real estate over 39 years. So if you buy something for $390,000, you are going to get a whopping $10,000 deduction this year. Depending on when you buy that in the year, it's probably even going to be a less deduction than that. So buying real estate, bad tax deduction. Good business move, bad tax deduction. Same thing with additions, right? If you're expanding the existing footprint of your building, that's going to be a terrible tax deduction. Depending on what it is, we might be able to deduct it over 15 years, but probably going to have to deduct that over 39 years. Again, probably great for your business. And a lot of these should not be kind of swaying if you should or should not do this, but should be mindful that, hey, you know what? This, while it might be a great idea for my business and my future plans and my future goals, I'm not going to get that instant gratification tax savings this year. Another thing is increasing your payroll or paying yourself a bonus. Just like we talked about before is generally on tax planning, we're reducing your payroll. If you're increasing your payroll or paying yourself a bonus, all you're doing is paying more money in payroll tax. So let's say that you're making $60,000 right now and you say, all right, I'm going to give myself a $40,000 bonus and I'm going to be able to have a big deduction on my business. If you're an S corporation, you, you pay that yourself that extra $40,000. Yes, it is going to reduce your S corporation income by $40,000, but it's going to increase your personal income by $40,000 as well. So those two wipe out. We actually have no tax deduction there. But remember here, we have payroll taxes. So on that $40,000, not only is it not saving us any income tax, we're probably going to owe about an extra $6,000 in payroll tax. Do not increase your payroll to save money on taxes. Do not pay yourself a bonus. Now, employees is a different situation. If you're paying employee money, yes, you're going to still be paying some more payroll taxes. Obviously, though, that money's not coming to you. Coming to your employee will be a tax savings for you. Kind of along the same lines here is increasing rent to yourself. A lot of times I have people that ask and say, Hunt, well, I'm just going to pay myself a couple extra rent payments, which is going to reduce my business income. Now, just like on payroll, yes, you know, we're going to pay ourselves an extra $20,000 in rent, going to lower our business income by $20,000, but now we have our rental income increasing by $20,000. This all flows through to you personally, and so at the end of the day, that's a wash. Now, unlike payroll, rent doesn't have any self-employment or payroll taxes associated with it. So you're not really hurting yourself by increasing your rent, but you're also not helping yourself either. Next one on here is buying an expensive car. And when I talk about car, I'm being very literal in car, not a truck, not a large SUV, a car. Now we can kind of expand on that a little bit, car or a small SUV. The reason I say it does not make sense or it does not help you uh, reduce taxes is let's say that you go out and you buy a new BMW M4. Car costs you $80,000 and you say, great, I have now an $80,000 tax deduction this year. You actually don't because cars have limitations on how much we can deduct in the first year. Even if you paid cash for that M4, 
the maximum amount that you're going to be able to deduct in the first year is $18,000. This is one of the big reasons why you don't see a lot of self-employed people, you know, driving really expensive cars through their business or writing the stuff off through their business. They're bad tax deductions, right? That's why you see a lot of Range Rovers, a lot of G-Wagons and stuff like that. Still a luxury vehicle, but you're going to get the added benefit of the accelerated depreciation. Same thing with smaller SUVs or crossovers and stuff like that. If it's not a truck, if it's not an SUV over 6,000 pounds in gross vehicle weight rating, you're going to be maxed out at that $18,000 in the first year. Last thing on here is, you know, kind of probably goes into that same vein of, of buying a really expensive car in your business is just buying things that you don't need just to save money on taxes. You know, I have people that will go out and buy a new car, buy a new truck every single year to save money on taxes. I've tried to explain to them, you know what, you're not actually getting ahead. You're trading one in, buying a new one, losing money on that trade in, losing money on the actual thing just to save money on taxes. It just doesn't make sense. Going out and buying a piece of equipment that you don't need doesn't make sense, right? Yeah, we're saving money on taxes, but we're still out that cash. Make sure that you're being smart about this stuff. Make sure that you're asking questions. Make sure that you're talking to your accountant and you're on the same page so that you don't have a unintended surprise at the end of the year of, well, hey, I thought I was good because I bought this property. And that's when you get the wake up call that, hey, it's either a bad tax deduction or maybe no tax deduction at all. You know, and to kind of wrap all this up, you know, just to emphasize here, tax planning needs to be done when you still have time to do this, right? If it's the end of the year, what you've done, you've done. What you haven't done, you have not done, right? I can't go back and change this. We are not wizards. We can massage some stuff. We can adjust some stuff. But most of our tools and most of your tools for tax minimization are no longer at your disposal once that year has passed. And another thing here is, you know, taxes are going to be inevitable if you're making enough money. What I always tell my clients is, I can't promise you that you're not going to pay any money in taxes. And honestly, I don't want you to pay no money in taxes. Because if you do not owe any taxes, it's not that I did a really good job. It's that you're not making enough money. Everyone should strive to owe taxes because if you're making money, you're going to have to pay tax. Now, what we're not striving for is paying more tax than we need to, right? I want to pay tax, but I want to pay the least amount of tax legally possible. And really the big thing here that people get mad about is, is not necessarily the tax, right? Because if you owe tax, that means you made money and you should have that money unless you're just spending this and blowing this money. But what people really don't like is the surprise. And so I say, hey, we are not trying to eliminate our taxes altogether. I'm trying to eliminate our surprises altogether. I hope this makes sense. I hope this kind of gives some direction. Please share with friends. And if you have any questions on this, comments or ideas for future episodes, please shoot me an email at podcast at parmelis.com. Just want to say thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listening apps. Thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe, and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.